Hello, sexy listeners, and welcome to The Trouble With Sex. I'm Dr. Tammy. If you haven't checked out the new podcast, Addicted, A-D-I-C-K-T-E-D, with Andy Dick, I'm on the first episode. The series kicks off with Andy opening up about sex and relationships. To me, a sex therapist, we talk about his dysfunctional relationships, his quote-unquote sex addiction, and his frantic search for love. This conversation takes a lot of dark turns, and I have to tell you, I tried really, really hard. He has a bunch of experts coming on throughout the season to try to help him with his substance abuse problems. I think he's going to try. So I hope you'll join us, and you can find Addicted, A-D-I-C-K-T-E-D, anywhere that podcasts are found. I can't wait to introduce you to Ian Kerner. Dr. Ian Kerner, if you don't know him, if you've never read one of his books, he's one of the most recognized voices in clinical therapy today. He's a licensed psychotherapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor. He specializes in sex therapy, couples therapy. He works with individuals on a range of relationship issues that you know often lead people to distress and discomfort. He approaches therapy from a, an integrative perspective, which is what I do, so I totally like his style. Besides being like a systemic thinker, you know, our audience is wide range of regular people. You know, some of them are clinicians, but a lot of them are just regular people that are looking for sex advice. This is the dude to give you sex advice. Dr. Ian is the dude. He has been featured in The Atlantic, New York Times, The Economist, and NPR. He's a regular contributor for CNN, for CNN Health. He lectures around the country, and his New York Times bestseller, She Comes First, has been translated into more than a dozen languages. And he's got a new book out, which is why I'm really happy to have him here. It's called So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex, Laying Bare and Learning to Repair Our Love Lives. Dr. Ian, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Tammy. I've known you for a long time. I don't know how long. It seems like forever. 20 years. Oh, God. It makes me Something feel like that. It makes me feel know. so old. I don't know. Well, I remember when, what was that? You had a book out. It was a big book. It was getting a lot of, uh, it was a lot of conversation around it. It was around the time of that book. I just can't remember the, the title. I think it was Getting the Sex You Want. Yeah, yeah, well, Getting the Sex You Want. So and that was like, that? Th- I don't know, that was like four books ago. <laughs> So it was a while ago. That was like 2000, I think it came out in 2008. And, you know, your book, She Comes First, which, by the way, was, you know, dropped into that big movie. It was like Transformers or something. When when I was watching that movie, me and my husband like jumped up. We're like, oh, my God, She Comes First. There it is. It's in the movie. We know him. <laughs> so exciting. It was very surreal, very strange. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was amazing. That book, She Comes First, has first of all, changed my sex life. And my husband like calls out that book all the time to all his friends. Like, dude, you got to read this book. <laughs> really? That's good. Huge fan, huge fan. It, it came from the heart. And, um, you know, when you write from the heart and you have something to say and you're going up against the intercourse discourse and you want to give people freedom and alternatives to just be themselves and make love with more of themselves and not just uh, 
the way you're told you should do it, you know, then that's a, that's a lasting message, I guess. Oh my God, you heard it from the source here, people. I give that book to every single one of my male clients who are sleeping with a female body person. Yeah, you know, sometimes you've written a lot of books. I've written some books. And sometimes a book can only be titled one thing. <laughs> and you just know what it is. And it is what it is. That was what it was with She Comes First. It was never going to be anything else but She Comes First. And with this new book, so tell me about the last time you had sex, it's it's absolutely the same thing, which is why I know it's really coming from a deep place in myself. And that's the question that I ask all of my sex therapy patients in the first session. When Once I've learned a little bit about the issue they're dealing with, it could be a desire issue, it could be a sexual function issue, like erectile unpredictability, it could be a pleasure issue, it could be a you know, a trauma issue, whatever it is, I've learned something about the problem. And then I'm definitely going to ask them, so tell me about the last time you had sex. And it's a simple question, but what's amazing is that every sexual event tells a story and it's so rich in action and uh, emotion and thematic content and, and detail. And when I get a big picture view of a sexual event and I can really hold it in mind, I can really work with that couple or that individual. You know, I can really help them change sex in action, right? I can, they can leave my office with something to do that's different, that's going to be uh, transformative. And as you know from doing this work, people wait far too long to come to sex therapy. It's like uh, the dentist in a way, like, yeah, you'll go for your cleaning, but like if that tooth, if you're in pain, like you'll live with the pain for like a year <laughs> before you go. And they're like, Jesus, look at that. <laughs> I mean, you're always so embarrassed too. You're like, well, yeah, am I the only person that has bad teeth? <laughs> am I the only person that waited till the thing's about to fall out of my mouth? And that's what happens in therapy too, right? People wait until their partner's got one foot out the door or they're just there to drop their partner off on the way out or something. And the thing is in that first session is you just want to get them out of pain, mm -hmm. right? Like before we can do any work, we just got to relieve some pain. So that's where that first question, so tell me about the last time you had sex, really um, comes into play because then I get a sense of the sex script, right? Like from the beginning, from the moments of initiation of sex, through the beginning, the middle, and the end, what happened. And we can pinpoint together in the session exactly in the sex script the moment things started to go awry. And sometimes it's at the very beginning before a couple's even gotten out of the gate, and sometimes it's towards the end. But we can pinpoint exactly where the pain is. So the sex script is kind of a description of, like, what exactly happens. It's the rundown of the the behavior from initiation or fantasy to all the way through the end zone, whatever that is. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I don't watch sports at all, unfortunately, <laughs> but I know that like when something major happens, don't they like freeze and they do a replay and a bunch of people kind of talk, right? Like what is that? The slow motion playback or something. You got it. Yeah. Imagine there's a lot of insight and, and, and things that they know and they can talk about, right? Like, <laughs> I sound like such an idiot talking about <laughs> You kind of do sound kind of sports illiterate. Like, like, I'm sure you could imagine like what they the do. Same thing with the sexual <laughs> event. Although a sexual event is not a sporting event, I want to go through it in slow motion. I want to put it out there 
something we can be curious about. We don't have to fight about it or argue about it. We can just like walk around it from a very curious, in a very curious way. So that that's sort of what I'm doing. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Like sometimes someone will be talking about a, a sex script and it's, it's as simple as, um, well, I don't like having oral sex. Uh, I don't like anybody going down on me. Well, that's interesting. Okay, well, what's happening? And right then and there, we'll go back to time that person was 15 years old and they had a case of bacterial vaginosis and people were making fun of the smell of her vulva or her vagina. You know, and there's still trauma stored in the body and it's coming up right there in the sex script, you know? For me, it's a pretty effective way of working, basically. So let me give you an example of a couple. So I have a gay male couple and one of them has a lot of guilt because he feels like he should want a bottom for his partner. And he's never been into it. He's never been into receiving anal sex and he feels like he's a bad gay. Like, that's what he comes in and tells me I'm a bad gay. I don't want to do it. Never been into it. And, you know, I I can do it on the top, but I'm not going to be a bottom. And he feels terrible about himself. And so every time they start to have sex and it feels like it's going in that direction, he loses his erection. So that's their sexual script. So if they came to you, how would you work with him? Okay, well... Let me, let me just like take this up a layer for a second. So if I'm sitting with a heterosexual couple and I ask them to tell me about the last time they had sex, 95 to 100% of them are going to talk about intercourse or wanting to have intercourse or they had intercourse. In my experience, many of the couples I work with, they get to intercourse usually anywhere from one to six or seven or eight minutes at most, right? It's like a prologue before the main event of intercourse. And, and that creates a lot of problems, as we know, for heterosexual couples. A lot of anxiety, the orgasm gap between men and women. So here's the interesting thing. If I was sitting down with that couple, I, I'd let them know, first of all, there was such a fascinating study done out of Indiana University that looked at the most recent sexual event of 25,000 gay and bisexual men. And Guess how? Guess what percentage of those um, gay and bisexual men had intercourse the last time they had sex? So heterosexual couples, 95 to 100% gay men. If I asked that guy, if I asked your patient, what do you think he would say? He would think 95%, right? Because he's he's comparing himself to, to hetero couples. Exactly. It's like a heteronormative thing, expectation, I'm sure. Right. It's a heteronormative thing. And uh, so the actual percentage, and I found this when I read this a little astonishing, is 35% of this sample of 25,000 gay men had intercourse the last time they had sex. 65% did not. What were they doing then if they weren't having intercourse, if they weren't arguing about topping and bottoming or worrying or feeling like a bad gay as you're patient describes. So 65% of uh, gay men did not engage in intercourse the last time they had sex. What were they doing? They were engaging in basically 12 different behaviors that are not surprising. Kissing, hugging, manual stimulation of the genitals, oral stimulation of the genitals. What is surprising, what is astonishing, and what is inspiring is that those behaviors were put together in 1,300 different combinations. Right. So that's 1300 different sex scripts that are outer course based because they're not involving intercourse. Right. That's what I would tell your patient, honestly. 
Like why, why do, why, if intercourse isn't your thing, if it's not working, why can't we uh, deconstruct that idea and reconstruct a, a totally different sex script? Yeah, I love that. And I, I, that seems so normalizing even for hetero couples or lesbians, like anybody who's goal is not necessarily penis and vagina or any kind of insertion sex. Like that seems so normalizing. Right. Why, why do we privilege a penis inside of something, whether it's a vagina or an anus? Why is that one behavior so exalted over all other behaviors? It doesn't necessarily feel better or even feel that different. Like what, you know, what is it? Like, why do we have to privilege one behavior and create entire anxiety-provoking discourses around it? That's the work that I started doing in She Comes First 20 years ago, right? Because I suffered from early ejaculation. And so I couldn't take the sex that was in my head and express it with a partner. And I felt frustrated. I felt shameful. I felt immature and inexperienced. And then I had a, you know, and I, and I had a breakthrough. I kept bashing my head against that intercourse discourse, against that wall, until I figured out a way to kind of work around it. And the workaround, the fucking workaround was a Garden of Eden, you know? <laughs> Everybody did that workaround. <laughs> I'll tell you, it benefited me. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, it is interesting that we prioritize, you know, that hetero male getting to the finish line, you know, money shot kind of sex. And it's it is kind of like a patriarchal control over our sexual scripts. Right. And so you're really saying, you know, maybe it's time to um, change our sexual scripts and pay attention. Like what where's that narrative coming from and why is that the best thing? Well, listen, I, I mean, this isn't about history, but we know sort of pre-Christian, you know, Western cultures were largely sex positive. Well, they weren't even really thinking about or trying to regulate sex. And then, you know, Christianity came in and a lot of regulation happened around sex. And uh, specifically, sex was only supposed to be procreative, right? That, that was the sole intention and purpose. Ideally, you wouldn't have any sex at all. But if you were going to have sex, it had to be procreative. It had to be in the missionary position. And it was actually intended to be as pleasureless quick and as passionless as possible, right? So we're, we're trying to undo all of that, but we still carry around with us what is really a procreative paradigm, right? Penis and vagina intercourse. I'm not saying it doesn't feel good. I'm not saying it isn't pleasurable. I'm not saying it isn't connecting, uh, but it's just one behavior. And it really is that procreative paradigm. But here's the thing. Most of the time, Almost all of the time, we're not having procreative sex, right? We're having relational sex. We want a connection. We want a merging. We want an emotional exchange. Or we're having a re recreational experience. We want some fun and some adventure. And I call it rec-relational sex, rec-relational, right? That's mainly where we want to be. Most couples get too too embedded, too stuck in the relational, and they sort of lose the recreational or they don't know how to generate the recreational. Some of our patients are so in the recreational that they're kind of split off from intimacy. So we're always working between those two sort of models to kind of integrate them. But here's the thing. If we're only engaging in a procreative model, penis and vagina or penis and anus, and by the way, 65% of gay men not having intercourse, 
the 35% of gay men, the gay men that I come to see in my practice, guess what they're mainly arguing about or having issues around? Intercourse, topping, bottoming, whatever it is, right? So we need different forms. We need the form of sex to look different if we're going to invest in relational sex and recreational sex. It's not the procreative model. And certainly for anyone who's not heterosexual or heteronormative, like they should, that shouldn't even be in their minds. You know what I mean? So it is about form follows function. And if the function of sex is emotional, relational, fun, adventurous, recreational, then find the right forms to embody that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Help us spread the love. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and take a minute to give us five stars or write a great review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do we love to hear your feedback, your support really makes a difference. It's going to help other people who are looking for advice about their relationships and sexual wellness. We have lots of amazing guests coming up, so subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We love and appreciate all of you, and thank you so much for your continued support. So, Ian, what do you think is the biggest trouble with sex today? The biggest trouble with sex? Well, A, I think it's a little bit about what we were discussing right now, which is just internalized ideas about how we should be having sex and not having um, the, the language or the confidence to challenge those norms. But beyond that, I think the biggest problem that I'm seeing in sex, and I'll bring it back to this concept of sex scripts, that our sex scripts are reduced to physical behaviors and are kind of dehydrated of erotic life and that we don't know how to bring our erotic selves into our physical sex scripts. And so we are leaving a big part of ourselves behind in sex and that we, we need to learn how to, hey, look, when we were four or five, we knew how to play make-believe. We knew how to play cops and robbers, heroes and villains. We had knew more about power play at age five uh, <laughs> than we probably know today as adults. <laughs> That's true. I used to love to play kill the guy with the stick because I like to be the guy with the stick. So all the boys would come over and pile on top of me. I'm not, oh, I'm not yeah. even going to say how that applies to my sexual script. <laughs> I bet. Is there a fantasy in there, though? Do you still, is there an updated fantasy of all those guys? I'm just uh, going to say it applies. <laughs> <laughs> of course it applies. These are our core erotic themes, right? <laughs> they began with us at five and they're with us at 50 and they'll be with us at 75. So true. I mean, I hear from people all the time that they played cowboys and Indians and, you know, they love to be, t I mean, it's so racist now, but they love to be tied up. You know, if they were the ones that got tied up, they're still being tied up today. Like, that's their thing. Totally. Well, we've got to have some of the courage to bring that back into our bedrooms. I mean, listen, most of the time for long-term couples, we're lying right next to somebody that we've been lying next to for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. We could talk about anything, but we can't bridge this one gap. We're an inch apart from someone, but we might as well be an ocean apart. Mm, it's so true. I, I really feel that people talk the least about sex to the person they're actually having sex with. I know. That's what's so amazing about sex therapy is they are talking to a stranger next to the person they're actually having sex with, saying stuff that they've never said ever before. Makes our work so fascinating and surprising. 
Yeah. And, it, you know, in today's world, you know, I would say you can cheat on your partner lying next to them. Like you're on on their phone talking to other people on a webcam or like looking up somebody else when <laughs> your partner's right there sleeping. Like it's amazing today how much more that script is, you know, divided and how yeah. how big that distance has become. Well, here's the other thing. So I'm very porn positive. Right. Mm-hmm. On the whole, like if you ask me pros and cons of porn, like my pros list would like way out daunt <laughs> the cons list. But I think what's happening with all of our screens and gadgets, especially when we're engaged, you know, with porn or just engaged in something like it's kind of easy. Right. It's kind of like if I'm like sitting there watching porn it's easy, it's arousing, it's, it's private, it's an escape, it's a, an outlet. And it's much more difficult than real communication and real sex. Real sex is, is infinitely more rewarding to me on so many levels. But real sex takes a commitment to like some communication, even if it's the first time I'm having sex with someone. I have to be vulnerable. I have to be aware. I have to be attuned. I have to deal with my anxieties. So I understand a little bit why more and more we're retreating into screens that compete for our our attention because the experiences are so much easier than actual human experiences. But they're so much less rewarding than actual human experiences, in my opinion. Agreed. So, Dr. Ian, we have a question from a listener. My wife and I are trying to get pregnant, and it has not been easy. It feels like a total job, and I don't feel connected to sex or her at all, and I feel like a failure on many levels. What can I do to get her to bring some more play into our sex life while we still try to get pregnant? I bet you get that a lot. Yeah, it is something that comes up a lot. You know, um, that shift into procreative sex, and especially when it's not happening or you're not getting pregnant, it's just the pressure really mounts up. And it's it's really a lot of, it's a lot of pressure on both partners relationally, but men feel so much sexual pressure to perform. And so very often it can result in uh, low desire, uh, an avoidance of sex, uh, delayed ejaculation, no ejaculation. What I'm hearing this guy say is he's just missing those relational aspects and the recreational and the lightness of sex. So, you know what I would probably say to start with is, you know, let's focus on the erotic thread between sexual events, right? So a sexual event right now is a little confusing. Is it is it meant to be fun? Is it procreative? And maybe your wife and you aren't going into it always with the same expectations. But what about everything that's happening in between sexual events? Is there a way of bringing back some eroticism and some energy and just holding a charge, creating a little spark and holding a charge? It can only be, it could be 30 seconds. It could be a minute. It could be a grab. It could be a comment. It could be a squeeze, whatever you want. Just letting your erotic selves come through without that sort of cloud of pressure around sex. So it's pretty Expectation, simple. Expectation, yeah. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say let's decouple the sex from the eroticism and go to your wife and just say, hey, I miss our, I miss our lightness. I miss our fun. I miss, the, I miss the sexiness. I miss, you know, like how cute or cute you're looking or hot you are or how I'm feeling. And like just try and bring some of that energy back into the environment. Yeah, I mean, especially if you... 
if you're trying and then there's in, the word infertility starts coming up, it's such a boner killer. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, you know, and a lot of guys, um, we're just not used to this. We're just not used to going to suddenly feeling like, you know, it's a kind of an objectification of suddenly we're like, a lot of guys tell me like, I'm just like a, a sperm machine or something, you know, for today. And it's, uh, it's true. <laughs> You know, so um, so there's a lot to sort of deconstruct and think about and talk about with a partner. It's a good, you know, I always say too, like if you if you go to couples therapy or sex therapy, sometimes you can go for just one session to have this conversation and just get a little recalibrated. I, I see plenty of couples and we just have one session or two sessions and I might never see them again because we just had to talk through one little thing. It wasn't little. I mean, we had to make it little and we had to get through it. Well, I like how people call you the Sherlock Holmes of the bedroom. <laughs> That's kind of sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know why, Tommy? I mean, and I think every sex therapist can relate to this. Sex is complicated. And it's complicated, but it's also beautifully complex, right? Someone can come in with one issue, like a desire issue. And, you know, maybe there's a physiological component, something to do with diet, exercise, lifestyle, and SSRI. Maybe there's um, a psychological component around body image. Maybe there's some trauma. Maybe there's some cultural ideas around gender. Maybe there's just pure relational stuff like I'm not attracted to my partner anymore or I don't trust my partner. And more than likely, it's a lot of those things happening all at once. And so individuals or couples come in and they know what they're experiencing, but very often they have no idea why. It's a total mystery to them. And they have no idea how to get on the other side of it. So we all are, you, me, everyone who does sex therapy and does it well, we are all detectives of the bedroom. We are all a Sherlock Holmes of the bedroom. And we are all going in there. We are going back to the scene of the crime, talking about, you know, for me, the last time they had sex. And we have our magnifying glasses, glass, and we're, we're looking for all of these this detail and information, trying to put together these clues. Well, you know, Dr. Ian, you could be the umpire that says, you know, okay, time. <laughs> and you're standing on the sidelines and calling out the, the plays. You know, that could be you too. You're going to sit with <laughs> me and watch the Super Bowl or something and educate me on, uh, I definitely have a block. You'd have to explain the rules and then I'd forget them. And then you'd have to explain them again. I, I don't know what it is. It's I just know, you know, a couple good, you know, a couple good lines, like, you know, advance the ball, you know, like some things like ply, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, good educational terms. I'm resistant in some level. <laughs> so one listener is asking, what's an SSRI? So an SSRI is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is an antidepressant. So like Prozac or... Zoloft. I don't want to advertise for them, but the 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 antidepressants a lot of times have sexual side effects. So they might affect your desire levels or your arousal levels or your ability to reach orgasm or even sometimes get an erection. So yeah, all medication has has sexual side effects, and so even over the counter medication, anything. Hundred percent, and 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 MDs often diminish sexual side effects. Mm -hmm. You know. Like, 
well, we just got to do this. We got to scrape out all the sensitive nerves. Yeah, you're never going to have an erection again, but you know, this is what we got to do. Actually, I shouldn't say a lot of MDs are much more holistic and more integrated and nuanced these days, but there's a lot of side effects out there that have sexual side effects and you got to be aware. And I think people aren't aware of the over-the-counter medication that has sexual side effects, even like Propecia for hair loss or, you know, antihistamines that dry out the soft tissue of your body. Like there's uh, there's side effects for everything. So just to be aware and be conscious and ask a sex therapist, like consult with someone. Absolutely. I love that that person asked that question because there's, I love asking even the simplest of questions, you know, being able to say, what is that? I don't know that. You know, I, I do that all the time. You know, that's a gift of just being able to ask a question. So we have another question from a listener. I'm a woman and so is my partner. I crave much more intimacy than her. And if I'm being honest, when she doesn't want to have sex, I feel completely rejected. How do we find more compatibility in the bedroom? This to me is probably about how to create a shared desire framework. You know, what I'm hearing is that one partner is more interested in sex and the other partner is not. And I imagine that the one partner that's interested in sex is able to kind of process maybe a sexual cue more quickly or is just able to metabolize something uh, and, and feel some, 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 an impulse to sex. And it's very frustrating when that's not mirrored back, especially when we feel like sex is supposed to be spontaneous and it's supposed to be about chemistry. That can be very, very uh, rejecting, feel very rejecting. But before you jump to the conclusion that your other partner is rejecting you or don't feel, doesn't feel desire, I have found that, you know, that other partner may just experience desire differently. And actually, when they get to desire, their desire can be really powerful and strong, more powerful and more stronger than the desire that you're able to conjure up in a in a flash. But what you two have to do is figure out a shared desire framework. And it has to be a framework where whatever's turning your partner off or inhibiting or stressing out your partner, you really got to work on reducing those stressors and obviously work on increasing whatever can be exciting or can be a turn on. And I would say go from a, a model of sort of expecting like a kind of spontaneous combustion uh, go go for a model that like percolates and, and simmers a little bit, you know, that would probably be where I would start. I'd want them to understand that they it's not about one having desire and the other not. It's about getting in sync and getting into a framework that creates that sync. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So, Ian, do you have any last advice or tips for our listeners about repairing their love lives or increasing their eroticism? Well, you know, I mean, I guess the one thing that we haven't really talked about is sort of the repair. Part. I mean, we've been talking about the repair, but not the emotional repair. And, you know, uh, with rupture should come repair. We all rupture, but we should all repair. Sex is an area where we can have a lot of conflict or we can have a lot of discrepancy and we can have those ruptures and like many arguments or impasses in life, we really don't always know how to repair. So I would encourage, you know, being able to talk about sex in a way that is kind of vulnerable and really allows you to go to a place of vulnerability and primary emotions. And you're not worried about solutions. You're just worried about being, you want to be seen and heard and, and felt and and you want to create space for your, your partner to talk and you want to be able to offer up that space. And so, 
You know, along with that, I would always say, if you have a problem that's sex related, great. You know what the problem is. Now, then that means you could probably envision the solution. If you know what you're not getting, then you probably know what you want. And if you know what you want, maybe you can like um, sex that up a little bit. So it's not just a solution like, oh, we need to, we don't have enough in the fridge. We need to do more shopping. Maybe you can really start to describe the fruits and vegetables and all that sexy stuff of what you want, right? So go from the problem, go to the solution, and then sex up the solution because a sexy solution is a fantasy, and a fantasy is arousing, and a fantasy is inviting. I have a fantasy of takeout. (laughs) (laughs) I have a fantasy of just being out. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be nice to get out. Well, Ian, when we start to be able to get out, I hope to see you in person because this is nice, but not quite as great as being around you in person and your great energy. Thank you. We so do you, Tammy, and I'll see you in L.A. or maybe uh, you'll see me in New York or something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Ian Kerner, for being with us today. It's been an amazingly informative time here on The Trouble With Sex. I know our listeners have gotten so much out of it, as have I. And you have taken us on quite a journey through your writings and through, you know, all of the the articles that you've written. If you don't know about Dr. Ian Kern, just Google him. A million hits will come up. Um, How can people find you and find out more about you? I think the best thing is just my website, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also a little social media uh, illiterate or avoidant, so, but I do, I do maintain my website, iankerner.com. So it's I-A-N-K-E-R-N-E-R.com. So thank you, Ian, for being here. I really loved having you as a guest. Thanks, Tammy. Same here. To all my sexy listeners, thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Tammy, on The Trouble With Sex. If you would like one of your questions answered on one of our episodes, go to thetroublewithsex.com and leave me a question to ask Dr. Tammy. Stay sexy, stay healthy, stay well. Till next time, I'm Dr. Tammy. Have a question about your relationship, your sex life, or sexual wellness? Visit thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your question. For sex-positive tips, live events, and updates, join my mailing list and follow us at The Trouble With Sex on Instagram. The Trouble With Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is designed by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was recorded by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by J.C. Chow. Music by Bruce Hirschfield.